How many of you have heard of a singer named Travis Tritt? Um, For those of you who don't know, he's a well-known country singer, but before he was famous, Travis spent years playing in small bars and taverns, and he said, as you might expect, that these could be very dangerous places. The people who listened to him often had too much to drink, and sometimes fights would break out, and that would put him and everybody else at risk. So how did Travis handle these rowdy crowds? Here's what he writes. Just when things were getting out of hand, when bikers were reaching for their pool cues and rednecks were heading for the gun racks, I would start playing Silent Night. It could be the middle of July. I didn't care. Sometimes they would start crying, standing there watching me sweat and play Christmas carols. Now, isn't that amazing that a Christmas carol could calm down a group of rowdy people in a bar? But we really shouldn't be surprised, should we? Because nearly 2,000 years ago, this was sung by angels. Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. How many of you have ever seen a manger scene? You know, baby Jesus and Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and the wise men. Ever see one of those? How many of you have one in your home? We've got one we've had for years. And I was thinking about it this week. When you look at that manger scene, that nativity scene, you get the impression that everything is so calm and peaceful. You know, Mary looks peaceful and Joseph looks peaceful and the sheep look like they're about to fall asleep. But ladies, let me ask you this. Is the birth of a baby a peaceful event? Not by a long shot. And sometimes we have this idea that, you know, when Jesus was born into the world, it was a a more peaceful, laid-back kind of time. But nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, it was actually a time of great turmoil in the Roman Empire. People were heavily taxed. And they face the prospect of a sharp increase in taxes to cover the cost of an expanding military. Public morality, the morality of public officials was on the decline. Government handouts in the Roman Empire were increasing to keep the population from revolting. And there was a growing emphasis on entertainment and athletic competition to distract people from the real issues of the day. And into this world comes Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Now, what about our world? There's some interesting parallels from the list that I just read, aren't there? Because in our world, people are concerned about taxes and about the economy. We read about the decline of morality in our elected officials and political candidates. There's concern about the expanding role of our military in certain parts of the world. We live in a nation where many people are distracted from the real issues of the day with sports and entertainment. And into our world comes Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. A group called Mental Health America did a survey to find out what anxieties people have at this time of year. And this is their top three lists, three sources of holiday stress, failing finances, missing a lost loved one, and having too much to do. And of course, there's also the concern that many people have about their personal safety, especially in light of terrorist attacks in Paris and in California, Church, we know this. We live in a world that desperately needs God's peace. So how do you find that peace? Listen very carefully to what I'm going to tell you. Until you understand how your story fits into God's story, you'll never have the peace that God wants you to experience. And your life really is not going to make much sense. You can think of it this way. Imagine that there's this movie that you really, really want to see And you get to the movie theater and you realize that you got the start time wrong. The movie has been playing for about an hour. 
and you have no idea what's going on. You don't know who the characters are. You don't know the, the plot line. Well, in much the same way, you and I are born into a story that is already taking place. And if we want to understand how our story fits into this story, we have to go back to the beginning. If this big story into which we were born were a play, we need to go back to Act 1. Now, fortunately, the Bible tells us how this story begins. In John's Gospel, verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word. Now, that's a reference to Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Before the universe was created, before anything existed, there was God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you were to give a name to Act 1, you might call it this, Peace in Heaven. This one God who exists as Father, Son, and Spirit is in perfect relational harmony. There are no disagreements, no conflicts, no relational risks within the Trinity. And then God's deciding that he's going to create this separate class of beings called angels. Now let me just say this, people don't become angels. Angels are angels and people are people. And we know in the Bible that God creates thousands and thousands of angels and he welcomes them into his home so they can worship and serve him. But eventually one of these angels no longer wants to worship God or serve him. In fact, this angel becomes God's adversary and leads this rebellion against God. And this leads to Act 2 in the, in the great story. You might call it War in Heaven. The Bible, this angel is called by many names, Lucifer, Satan, and he entices a third of all the angels in heaven to join him in his rebellion. But Satan loses this war in heaven, and he's cast out of heaven along with all these angels that are now called demons. And when Satan and his fellow traitors are cast out of heaven, they are thrown down to the earth, apparently before Adam and Eve are ever created. And this leads us to Act 3. God creates a man and a woman and puts them in a place called the Garden of Eden. Now, why does God do that? Why does God create people? And here's the answer, the answer, so that we can be the objects of his love. Adam and Eve are invited to join this perfect relational harmony of the Trinity. And, and really, when you think about it, isn't that what our hearts long for? Relationships where there is perfect peace and no conflict? But here's what happens next. This war that began in heaven is about to spill on to the earth. Satan, disguised as a serpent, tempts Adam and Eve. He tries to get them to believe a lie, that God really isn't good, that God can't be trusted. And when Adam and Eve believe Satan rather than God, when they disobey the one who loves them, the one who created them, all hell literally breaks loose. Their disobedience unleashes God's curse, not just on them, but on the entire creation. Now there's conflict and chaos. There's death and disease and pain and suffering. And the reality is simply this. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And it's into this, war, into this world that each of us has been born. We find ourselves in Act 3, and if we don't understand how the story began, our life doesn't really make any sense. And even as children, we quickly discover that something is wrong with the world. How many of you have ever had somebody lie to you? Ever been hurt by somebody? I mean, that's what we experience as kids growing up. Parents get divorced. People get sick. People we love die. We find out that there is war and poverty and crime and, and something deep inside us says, well, wait a minute, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And as we look at the world around us, we come to another realization. Something is not only wrong with the world, something's wrong with us because we lie 
and we hurt people. And we struggle to know the meaning of our lives. Why? Because so often we don't understand this grand story that God is writing and how we fit into it. I was sharing with people in first service that on the way to church this morning, Chris and I were driving and we saw people that were hitting golf balls at a driving range and we saw people riding bicycles and people doing Christmas shopping. And I think about this a lot. You know, every day people around us wake up and they go to work and they pay the bills and they watch the kids and they launch their careers and yet they have no idea how their story fits into this grand story that God is writing. And church, that's why it's so important at Christmas time that we understand not only the Christmas story, but what it means for our story. And as you read the pages of this book, what you discover is that things are not going very well in Act 3. The world is a mess everywhere you look. People are lying and cheating and killing and stealing. The nations are at war with God and with each other, and yet... God has not given up on the people that he loves. And God has not given up on his dream of peace. The Jewish nation had a word for peace. And do you know what that word is? Shalom. And the word shalom has this, this significance. The idea of shalom is something that is broken, being put back together. Something broken, being restored to its original condition. And God is promising throughout the pages of Scripture that somebody is coming. Somebody's going to enter this story and bring peace. Somebody's going to make things the way they're supposed to be. The prophet Isaiah looked ahead and he said this. He prophesied this hundreds of years before Jesus was born. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called. These are some of the names of Christ. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus, the one who was there at the beginning of the story, is coming to earth. The second person of the Trinity will become a human being, and this baby born in Bethlehem will grow up and be a man on a mission. Philip Yancey said this, the incarnation was a daring raid into enemy-held territory. The Prince of Peace has come to make things right. He has come to win the war and restore the peace. And we see that in this birth announcement of the angels. And remember this, the angels had witnessed the war in heaven. They had witnessed the war that is spilling over onto earth. And they say this, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. The mission of Christ is to bring about peace on earth. But to do that, he must first himself become a casualty of this cosmic war. And I find it intriguing that the night before Jesus lays down his life, he talks to his disciples about peace. And this is what Jesus says in John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And notice this next statement. I do not give to you as the world gives. I was thinking this week as I talk with people about overcoming addictions that one of the things that, that drives us to abuse alcohol, drugs, other, other addictive behaviors is our deep desire for peace. Our desire to somehow escape the pain in our hearts. And Jesus was so clear. Look at this verse. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. There is a peace that is different than the peace offered by the world. And Jesus says this, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And Jesus also says this during that last night that he spends with his disciples. He says, I've told you these things so that in me 
you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble because Jesus knows that Act 3 is continuing on the earth. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, that's a pretty incredible statement. Jesus has not yet gone to the cross. He's still with his disciples, and he makes his bold declaration, I have overcome the world. How can he say that? Well, the reason Jesus can say that is because he knows the whole story. He knows the beginning and the end. Jesus knows that he's going to die on a cross. He knows that he's going to rise from the dead and deal Satan a crushing blow, a crushing defeat. Jesus knows that he's going to ascend into heaven as Act 3 continues on the earth, and he knows this. In fact, he promises that one day he is coming back. And friends, that's an incredible hope for us because the Bible says that there's going to be a day, there's going to be this cosmic event, a war, in which Satan and his demons will be vanquished by Christ. Evil one day will be obliterated and Jesus Christ will reign unchallenged as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the Prince of Peace. I guess you could summarize the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. In fact, this is really a summary of the whole Bible. Two words, Jesus wins. And aren't you glad that he does? Because if you follow Jesus Christ, you win too. One day, Jesus promises there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And one day, things will be the way they're supposed to be. But that's not this day, is it? And so it's so important for us to realize that we have been born into Act 3. We were born into a war that is taking place. And, and we see that around us all the time, don't we? We read the newspapers and, and, and watch the reports on TV. There's a war taking place all over the world in different ways, different places. But the war's not just out there, is it? It's in here. We are people who desperately need peace. And so here's the question this morning. It's on your outline. What is this peace that Jesus wants you to have and how can you get it? And that is such an important question. I want to walk us through that. And here's the first thing I want us to see. This is on your outline. Jesus came to our world to give us, to bring us peace with God. Of course, that raises an important question. Well, why do we need peace with God? And here's the answer. Because every single person who comes into this world, whether they realize it or not, has a heart problem. We are born at odds with God. Our natural disposition is to disobey God and to walk away from his purpose and his plan for our lives. This is a verse from Psalm 51 written by King David, and he says this, for I was born a, a basically good person. Is that what he says? No, I was born a what? A sinner. Is that something people want to hear? No. In fact, you might be thinking, well, pastor, can we talk about something different? I mean, it is Christmas, for crying out loud. But here's, here's why this is so important. Unless we understand the real condition of our hearts, we will never appreciate the magnificence of Christmas. And so King David says, I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Now, the Christmas story is about a Savior. Remember the message of the angels for unto you was born this day in the city of David, a what? A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Why do we need a Savior? Because we're in serious trouble. See, the story of Christmas is the fact that we are sinners who don't just need another book for Barnes and Noble, another self-help book or another friend that tells us how to run our lives. We need a Savior because we have a sin problem. The Bible says that we have walked away from God, that we've broken His commandments. And because of that, because God's holy and just, He has to punish us. That just punishment is to die and to be separated from Him forever. And that's where the beauty of Christmas shines the best because Jesus comes to our world so that we can have peace with God, so that our relationship with God can be restored. That's why Jesus 
lives a perfect life so that he can offer his life in exchange for ours. That's why when God looks at Jesus on the cross, he's willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. The wrath of God that we deserve is poured out on Jesus and he dies and he comes back to life and he says, listen, if you trust me, if you will follow me, I can give you peace with God. In fact, there's a powerful verse in the book of Romans that says exactly that. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, justified means made right with God, how? Through faith in Christ, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do you get this peace? Well, first of all, you admit that you're fundamentally flawed, that you have a heart problem, that you're a sinner. So often we want to blame our choices, our behavior on on other people. This blame game goes back to the very beginning of the story. Somebody said one time that Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake, and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. Some of you will understand that story. But isn't it true, isn't it true that so often we blame what's happening in our lives on other people? And guys, if I could just say this, um, you know, it's easy to say, you know, if only my wife met my needs, if only my boss would pay me what I'm worth, if only my kids would listen to me and do what I say, my life would be great. Do you know what? So many of our problems are not out there. They're in here. And so we have to admit that we have a heart that needs transformation. And that's where it all begins, admitting that we're sinners who need a Savior. And we need to do this. We need to believe that Jesus actually came to this world, that he is God's son who laid down his life for us and came back to life. And we have to choose to follow him. We have to say, you know what? My life is now under new management. And Jesus is calling the shots, not me. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so Jesus came, first of all, to bring us peace with God. But the story gets even better because look at the statement on your outline. Peace with God enables us to pursue peace with others. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand right now, but how many of you during this holiday season need some peace with others? Listen to this story. One week, our dog suddenly began barking every night at about 3 a.m. Irritated and sleepy, my husband Larry searched the backyard for what might have disturbed this otherwise peaceful animal. For three days, he couldn't find anything wrong. When the dog barked frantically and woke up the neighborhood for a fourth night at 3 a.m., Larry finally snuck around the house through the alley, only to discover that our quiet neighbor, the last man you'd expect to do anything wrong, was throwing pebbles over the fence at our dog. My husband demanded to know what he was doing. Our embarrassed neighbor explained, uh, my mother-in-law is visiting, and if she gets woken up in the middle of the night one more time, she says she'll leave. As Christians, we are commanded to pursue peace with others. Look at this verse. If it is possible, as far as it depends on who? On you and me. Live at peace with the people you like. What does it say? Live at peace with everyone. I saw a sign this week and it said this. What can you do to promote world peace? Go home and love your family. Good advice, isn't it? We know that marriages fail because husbands and wives just can't get along. Parents and children experience tension and isolation and pain often because they just can't work things out. Church families fail to make the impact they should when members can't get along. So how is it possible to pursue peace with others? Look at these verses that were written by Peter, a follower of Jesus. He says this, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. That's put yourself in the other person's shoes. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. 
Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. And Peter goes on and he says this, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Jesus is the one who came seeking us so that we might have peace with God and peace with others. And if we're going to follow his example, that means that we have to seek peace with other people. Even when it's hard, even when we don't feel like doing it. And I think the message of Christmas is so clear. The message of Christmas is that God has poured out his grace. God has poured out his love. God has forgiven us so much. And he wants us to extend that same grace, that same love, that same forgiveness to the people in our lives with whom we need to seek peace. One last thought, and this is on your outline. Peace with God enables us to experience peace within ourselves. Peace with God enables us to experience peace within ourselves. How many of you have ever been through a hurricane in South Florida? How many of you have ever done this? Because this is a really cool experience. Have you ever stood in the eye of a hurricane? Anybody? Isn't that amazing? I mean, it really is. Everything is calm. It's almost eerie how peaceful it is. And you know that there's still a storm out there. In fact, the storm surrounds you. But as you stand in the eye of the hurricane, nothing out there can touch you. We live in a world where we are surrounded so often by conflict and confusion and stress and problems and pain. And that can make it really, really hard to live in peace. But there is this, this place, this eye of the storm that God could lead us to where we can find the peace that God intended. And the question is, how is that possible? I mean, practically speaking, how can you experience this peace with God and peace with others and peace within yourself? Well, the Bible's clear. And I want to walk you through this real quickly and encourage you to think about this during the week. You can actually use your devotional guide to, to think about this issue of peace. But first of all, here's what we can do. Get to know God better and better. If you want more peace in your life, get to know God better and better. Look at this verse from 2 Peter. It says this, Grace and peace be given to you more and more. Why? Because you truly know God and Jesus our Lord. So how do you get to know God? Well, there's this book. In fact, you know the Bible's not really a book. Did you know this? It's a library. It has 66 books. But these books tell us about God, about his love, about his heart for us, about his purpose and we can get to know God better and better by reading the book and by talking to him about what's in the book, by praying. And that's the way you can get to know God better and better so that, notice this next thing, you can learn to trust God more and more. Look at this verse from Romans. It says this, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and, what's the next word? Peace. Because you do what? Because you trust in him. And here's the third thing you can do to live in the eye of the hurricane. You can thank God for all he's done and ask him to provide what you need. Now, there's a classic verse in the Bible that teaches us how to deal with anxiety and worry. And it's Philippians chapter 4. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And let me stop there for just a second. It's really kind of straightforward when you think about it. What causes anxiety? Well, the fundamental cause is we don't think we're going to have what we need. Sometimes we worry because we don't think we're going to have the money that we need. 
We're not going to have the job that we need. We're not going to have the patience that we need. We're not going to have the wisdom that we need to make the right decision. So the Bible says, tell God what you need. When you feel worry rising up in your heart, just go, time out. I need to talk to God about this. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then, then, and notice this is an if-then statement. If you do this, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. I tell you, there have been times in my life when it didn't make any sense for me to be peaceful. And I knew that that peace was a gift from God. And I know many of you have experienced that too. Because God wants us to know this peace that Jesus came to bring us. Corey Ten Boom, who survived a Nazi death camp, said this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Jesus, you'll be at rest. And that is so true. On your outline, it says this, um, with whom can you share this good news about God's peace? You know, earlier in the service, I pointed out that there's an invitation card in your program to our Christmas Eve service. The theme of our service this year is God with us. And I shared with First Service that there's a survey that was done recently and it indicated that 82% of people in America who are invited to a worship service in a church and accompanied by a friend will actually go. Now you think about that. Four out of five people who are invited to church by a friend and if their friend meets them there and attends with them, they'll actually go. I want to encourage you to invite somebody you know to come to our service on Christmas Eve and and be here. Meet them at the door. Arrange a place to meet because the, the chances are just statistically that they'll say yes and pray that they'll say yes. Pray that God will give you the desire and the courage to invite somebody to come because listen, you know, this morning I kind of walked you through the story. Some of you know that story well. Think about all the people who don't know the story. Think about all the people who get up every single day and their life doesn't make any sense and they're struggling because they don't have hope and they don't have peace and they don't have joy. And you know the answer. So church, let's, let's share this good news with the people that God's placed in our lives. Let me close with this story. The place was Alpine Elementary School in Columbus, Ohio. Tornado warnings had gone off and the children were sent to the basement for safety. The children huddled together in fear and the teachers were worried too. To help ease the tension, the principal suggested a sing-along. But the voices were weak and unenthusiastic. Child after child began to cry and no one could calm them down. Then a teacher whose faith seemed equal to any emergency whispered to the child closest to her, Are you forgetting something, Katie? There is a power greater than the storm that can protect us. Just say this to yourself, God is with us. Then pass the word to the child next to you. As the words were whispered from child to child, a sense of peace settled over the group. You could still hear the wind blowing with the same ferocity of the moment before, but it didn't seem to matter now. Inside the tears and the fears had faded away. Friends, when you face storms out there, when you face storms in here, Remember these words that can change everything. These four powerful words that can change your heart and bring you peace. God is with us. God is with us. Let's pray.
Father, we know that's true. At this very moment, you are here with us through your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, you left the glory of heaven to come and to be with us, to seek us out so that we could know the peace that you know, the peace that you give. And Lord, I pray very, very much today, God, that you give us a desire to share what we know about Jesus with others, to just simply invite somebody to come to this place on, on Christmas Eve, God. And I pray that, that as that happens, Lord, that when people hear the story of Jesus, that they would just be overcome, that you would capture their hearts with your love and that they would surrender their lives to Christ. Lord, thank you for entrusting the message of the gospel to us because we're broken people. We're people who struggle in so many ways. We, we need your peace this morning. And so, Father, we thank you for these songs at Christmas that, that help us to settle down, to bring us peace, to remind us that you're the God who loves us like nobody else. And Lord, even as we sing this, this last song about Jesus, I pray that we would experience your peace that passes all understanding, for we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing our last song together.